Well, we are uh, coming to the eighth or the seventh commandment. I'm sorry, the eighth commandment. We did the seventh commandment last week. Um, And so uh, we're going to be looking at the eighth commandment, the seventh commandment being do not commit adultery. This week we're going to look at do not steal. Um, Once again, I just want to point out that our that our text in Deuteronomy, um, it's it's hard because I think it's easy for us to look at a book like Deuteronomy and get lost in the weeds. Does that make sense? It's so detailed and so specific. And the, all these various case laws, we can, we can drill down into those things and get lost and miss the big picture. My, my hope is that we can look at the specific case laws here and draw outward to see the more broad or general principles that apply. Uh, so we're looking at just a few very specific cases uh, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 23 and 24. Um, And I'm actually going to read a little bit extra uh, in chapter 24. Um, I'm going to start in verse uh, 6, your text that you have before you. And that's just to help us get a little bit of context. I won't be looking at everything in that uh, passage. We'll be focusing on the verses that are printed for you in the bulletin. Um, But I'm going to to start in verse uh, 6 of 24. But I'm going to start in, in Deuteronomy 23. So with that, let's turn to the text. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 to 25, and then we'll look at Deuteronomy 24, verses 6 to 22. So Deuteronomy uh, 23, uh, 24, and 25. Again, we're looking at the commandment, do not steal. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish. But you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you can pluck the ears with your hands, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Verse 6 of 24. No one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then the thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Take care in a case of leprous disease to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priesthood shall direct you as I commanded you. So you shall be careful to do so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in the cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God." You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not put to de- be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. 
Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help in understanding your word. We ask for your help uh, in uh, applying the word to our heart. We need your spirit to do that. And then we ask for your help in acting on the word in faith and love. Do these things, we ask, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Um, There are certain topics uh, deemed too, uh, or deemed inappropriate, if you will, for polite company. And we looked at one last week, right, with uh, do not commit adultery. Um, it was a hard topic. We worked through that. Well, I suspect this week's topic is also taboo in polite conversation. And at first blush, it might not seem like a very hot or controversial topic. Do not steal. Oh, of course. There is not a society around that says that's a good thing, to steal somebody else's property. Uh, Do not steal. We tell our kids early on, don't take that toy from little Johnny. It doesn't belong to you. We're on the positive note with our kids. We say we encourage them, share, right? Um, No one disagrees that stealing is wrong. I don't think. Nevertheless, the topic of stealing is one that can quickly become very uncomfortable because it deals with the stuff of life, material things that we have. It touches on areas of anxiety for all of us, whether we are rich or whether we are poor. Everybody, maybe kids notwithstanding, you guys might not think about these things much, but as soon as you kind of grow up, you start thinking about money. Nobody stops thinking about money. Uh, I, I don't think anyway, at least I've not experienced that. Um, We all worry about it. We all get anxious about it. We all strive to get it for our security, for our comfort, for life itself. And here's the thing. Though we all know stealing is wrong, we all are also slow to see how we might be guilty of breaking this commandment. Uh, See, we're we're very good at looking at others and saying that person is stealing or that person is stealing and we don't even use the word steal very often that that seems so what's the word uh concrete like i go into a store and i take the product and i put it in my bag and i walk out that you know like we can envision that as stealing but there's a lot of words we use that uh get at the same idea and that we accuse others of uh sure things like um the rich exploit And take advantage of the poor. What we're saying is the rich steal from the poor. That's what we're we're saying when we use the word exploit or take advantage of. Or maybe we say the poor are a drag on society and take advantage of those who have means. When we use, again, that word take advantage, we're saying they steal. They take what doesn't belong to them. They take advantage. It's our code word, maybe. 
And it's not just rich and poor persons, but we also blame societal institutions, right? Government, what do they do? Well, it's almost that time of year, right? Uh, it's coming down to the wire. Uh, we, we get angry. We say they demand unfair taxes. Well, and if it's not the government, well, corporations, right? They're the greedy ones. Those people over there lining their pockets, the executives while keeping wages low. Or maybe the real problem is labor unions, right? Labor unions, that's the real problem. See, we're very, do you see what I'm getting at? We're very good at pointing out stealing in all sorts of forms. We point fingers even at families as well, unfair parents, right? It's not fair. You never let me get X, Y, or Z, mom and dad. We're saying they're being greedy, miserly, or whatever. And parents look at their kids as they grow up, and they're just like, man, get a job. Stop being lazy. Take an advantage. And I could go on. You, You get the idea. My point is this. We point fingers in all directions. But the commandment and all that it deals with is a pretty sensitive topic. Because it deals with something that is so important in our lives, so central, tangible stuff that we have. Now, all of us have felt as though we've been cheated or robbed at some point in our lives. All of us have been feel like and have probably been taken advantage of with regards to our stuff. And we're quick to point that finger. But I've rarely ever met someone who has self-identified as a thief. Have you? We're incredibly good at justification for the way we act with our money, right? That's kind of, we're very good at that. We're very good at saying, well, I'm, you know, I don't do these things. We're very quick. Well, as with all commandments, I believe it's incumbent on us to examine our hearts this morning with regards to money. And my main idea this morning is really simple. Treasure the things of heaven. Treasure the things of heaven. This is the answer to our money problems. No, no, no. Let me rephrase that. This is the answer to our money problem. Our money problems will continue to exist for as long as as we live on this earth. But when we treasure the things of heaven, which really means treasuring Christ and the values of heaven, treasuring him foremost, it'll give us the heart... The heart of generosity, the heart of courage to not be in bondage to money. Those problems that come with money will start to fade away. The perspective will change for us. So this morning we'll look at this call to treasure the things in heaven in two parts. Just as a heads up, the the bulk of what I'm going to be saying will be in the first part and I'll kind of conclude with the second part. So if you feel like I'm on point one for a long time, I am. Um, and then on part two will be uh, a little shorter as we kind of move to the gospel. So the f- two parts are treasures on earth and treasures, the treasures of heaven. So first, uh, treasures on earth. And here's the question. I'm going to repeat it over and over again. 
What do you treasure? What do you treasure? Our first text in Deuteronomy, it's an intriguing text, at the end of chapter 23. On the one hand, it seems to condone stealing, right? If you go into your neighbor's vineyard or field, eat whatever you want. Pluck, 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 pluck. I remember when uh, 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 my kids were pretty little, I think. I, uh, I don't know if Heather was. She might have been like an infant in an infant carrier. And we went to uh, a strawberry patch, you know. You get to pick your own strawberries. And I remember my oldest daughter and my oldest nephew there um, going around and picking strawberries. They had their little, you know, basket of, for the strawberries. And they come back and there were no strawberries in the basket. Right? <laughs> They're just going around eating strawberries. It was a lovely thing. Um, but it makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it, when it says... Yeah, you can go into anybody's neighbor's yard and you can eat whatever you want and just take it, pluck it, eat it. Just don't collect it. See, it, on the other hand, on the one hand, it seems like it condones stealing, but on the other hand, it seems to condemn it. Don't take bags for the grapes or a sickle to the grain. Don't collect it and, and make it your, your means of livelihood. This is, this is for life. You can eat it if you need it. But it's not for your livelihood. This isn't yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's not your property. Um, why? Why this kind of dual thing? And I want to kind of explore this a little bit. Um, Jesus and his disciples, of course, did this, right? In the Gospels, it tells us that they were walking by a field and they plucked the grain as they passed by in the field. And the Pharisees got really upset with them because they... St- No, not because they stole. Actually, they weren't upset because they took the grain, because that's in the Bible. You can do that. Why would they were upset? Because they did it on the Sabbath, and they were breaking the Sabbath. Uh, But they were allowed to do that. Right? There's there's difference. uh, 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 Seems like a difference of what does it mean to steal? What does it mean uh, to care for one's self in that way? See, it was meant to be... This, this provision here was meant to be for the poor, the hungry, the sojourner, the orphan, the widow, the one who is going out and, and looking for food. And we see this in the book of Ruth, right? Ruth was a widow. Her mother-in-law was a widow. And Ruth says, go to this field owned by Boaz. Go to this field and glean. It means everything that's kind of left, left after the harvest, just go and gather it up and take it. And there's a whole beautiful story around uh, that. But... That was part of life in Israel. Nevertheless, the bulk of the produce did belong to the landowner, and the poor were prohibited from taking more than they needed. These verses, as I've already said, I think, while in theory seem good to us, in practice make us really uncomfortable. Um, it's a little hard for us to picture because we don't live in an agrarian society, right? Like we're not, we're not living in a world where your neighbor has this huge field and they're producing things and, and you're oftentimes walking uh, home or to town or whatever and you stop for a snack. Like that's just it's not part of our world. So I tried to come up with and imagine what this might look like in our context. And I, I tried to imagine having a large vegetable garden from which I produced more than enough food for my family and could potentially set up like a you pick, kind of like that strawberry patch, where folks could come and pick some veg and 
fruit and I'd earn a little bit on the side. All right? um, this is very highly theoretical because I do not have a green thumb and this could never happen. Um, but after thinking about this, I began to ask the question, if somebody came and took some fruit and started munching on it without paying for it, would I be bothered? And the conclusion I came to was this. It just totally depends. Was it a friend? Was it a family member? Probably wouldn't care, right? My kid went out and took the food. I'd be fine if somebody, neighbor came, hey, hi-de-ho, neighbor, and said, can I have some fruit? I'd be fine for the most part. Um, But what if it was Fred? I'm using a name, a pseudonym, for somebody that I know. Uh, Fred is not his real name. But Fred was someone, is someone who, though not homeless, has lived like he was homeless. He has lived on a fixed income. He's not wealthy at all. He doesn't have a lot. He's old, he's crotchety, and he has a bad habit of yelling at kids. He's just one of those people that just, he just can't get, he gets annoyed really easily. But Fred also has a habit of taking free stuff wherever he is. All sorts of free stuff. His favorite day on Sundays, he would come to church uh, somewhat irregularly, but he would come most frequently on Bagel Sunday. It's Bagel Sunday, there was lots of free food. And he would get a bagel, and then he'd get another bagel, and he'd get another bagel, and he'd stack up the bagels, and he'd put a few in his pocket, and put a few in his other pocket, hand some to his wife, and they would uh, go off. Uh, And sometimes he would also steal things that weren't, you know, they weren't free, but maybe they were free. Is that free for the taking? There's no sign on it. Maybe I'll just take that. Fred had an issue with stealing. So as I was imagining Fred coming to my vegetable garden, it was easy for me to picture. He loved gardens, after all. He loved tomatoes, and I could see him just coming and taking and taking and taking and taking and all the best, all while he talked my ear off, which he loved to do as well. I'd be upset with Fred. And I know his M.O. He's always taking advantage of situations like this. I know him. And I thought to myself, would I be comfortable with him? I just paint that picture because this stuff gets complicated, doesn't it? You know? Is what Fred was doing right? Maybe not. See, there's a command not to steal and there's a command to be generous with our stuff. And these things go hand in hand. They are inextricably linked. But our text, and I would argue the whole of Scripture, actually emphasizes the command to be generous and to give to the poor way more than it talks about actual taking, especially by the poor. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second because I need to make a few caveats. It is wrong to take, even if you're poor. It is wrong to steal. That is sin. There's no question about it. But the only reason I highlight this and, uh, and take Fred as an example, there are lots of issues with Fred and they need to be addressed and I as a pastor might need to address them. But if I'm honest with myself, I've got some heart issues regarding the stuff. Don't we? It's mine. He's taking my things. No matter what happens with Fred, 
I need to deal with my own heart. And we all do. So why is it that we're so jealous of our stuff? Why? I'm going to go back to kids for a moment and then get back into the text. But I just wanted to go back to kids for a moment. It's interesting to watch them play together at young ages, isn't it? If one kid has a toy, all of a sudden the other kid wants that toy. It's, a, it's like a truism. Like, kid goes for a toy, all of a sudden the other kid will come. Like, I don't know if there's a radar there, whatever, but it just, it's, it's inevitable. And, you know, it's even more interesting because it creates the screaming tantrum and the smackdown between the toddlers. And... It's even more interesting to watch the parents, how they respond, right? Parent one says, oh, sweetie, that toy belongs to my little Johnny. Please give it to him, right? And the other parent, parent two, says, well, isn't it good that we learn to share? Sharing is... Right? And you can see it in the parents. They're both getting their ire up over the stops. They're like, I don't know. You see this in our hearts? Attachment to stuff. Stuff for ourselves, stuff for our kids, stuff for our own. And it doesn't get better as we get older. Sure, we may be more likely to give something to charity, but not if it hurts our bottom line. There's a line in which we have, and it doesn't cross below that line. I have this much to give, and we give at the end of the year, because otherwise we'd have to give it to Uncle Sam anyway, right? That's how it works. I'm not saying that's wrong to do that at the end of the year, I think end of year giving is good and reasonable. But what I am suggesting is that we ought to examine our hearts and ask the question, why? Where is my treasure? Where is my heart? What do I value most? And as I've said, the emphasis in our text is on the giving of our stuff for the welfare of others. Look at verses 14 and 15 in your text. It is very, in chapter 24, it's very explicitly directed at those with means. Don't oppress the poor. Rather, give them what you owe them right away. Like if if they work for you, you have a responsibility to pay them in a timely manner. Uh, When you don't live hand to mouth, it's hard to grasp the significance of that money for the person. This is why we have these terrible things, these loan sharks, these payday loan sharks that you'll find on the city corners that that say, oh, I'll give you your paycheck up front. And oh, by the way, another 30% on the top of that, right? And the evil of the pay loan sharks, whatever you want to call them, exists because those who have means overlook the concerns of the poor. That that paycheck to wait a month is beyond their capacity. They need daily bread. I just highlight this as the verse that's concerned foremost with those who have means before we think about the poor and their sin. Similarly, verses 17 to 22 are directed to the landowner. Leave a margin for the poor, the sojourner, and the widow. It says it over and over again. Leave a margin for the poor, the sojourner, and the widow. And this text is not unique to this portion of Deuteronomy. In fact, the vast majority of texts in both the Old and New Testament with regard to money and this particular commandment, do not steal, address those with means. 
And it's not to say, you go to Proverbs and the sin of the poor person is stealing. I mean, it, it just, that is one of the issues that they have, one of their fundamental concerns. But the primary focus is on those with means. And I, and I know I'm speaking in West Hartford, Connecticut, to a fairly upper middle class congregation. So if, I, if you feel like I'm heavy handed, I am. In the prophet, uh, the prophets, they excoriated the Israelites for their idolatry and their abuse of the poor. The oppression of the poor. Jesus exposed the heart of the rich young ruler when he said, Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the, the, the rich man went away dejected. Because that was a bridge too far. He wanted to be good. He wanted to be righteous. But his heart has treasured the things of the world too much. He had made an idol of the world. Again, this doesn't excuse stealing. And the other outright breaking of this command. But the question is, how does our generosity relate to this command, do not steal? Because they're intertwined. And this really gets at the root of our problem. When we're more concerned with our bottom line, our comfort, our stuff, our houses, our cars, our property, our kids' stuff, our kids' education, whatever it is, when we're more concerned with all of that than the plight of those who are in desperate need, God says, then you're stealing. Wait, what? Well, I'm trying to take care of things. I'm trying to be prudential. I'm trying to be wise. I'm trying to care for the needs of those around me, those immediate concerns. My family, yes, that's good. But when that comfort is at the expense of those who are in need, God says you're stealing. And if you think I'm wrong, we read a passage of Scripture earlier in our, in our uh, uh, service, didn't we? We heard it from the voice of the littlest among us. The king is asked, those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the Father, for I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. But then those on his left ask the question, what about us? And they said, well, when you didn't do those things, where were you? God has a deep, deep concern for the poor. You see, we're not simply being not generous. We're actually stealing. And I'm not arguing for the redistribution of wealth or for the proletariat to rise up. I'm not about replacing one form of greed for another form of greed. But what I'm convinced of is that when our hearts are fixed on the treasures of earth, the good gifts, the material blessings of God, and we make those things ultimate things, then we're stealing. Not from the poor per se, but from God himself. Wait, what? How are we stealing from God? Because part of, we see this in, in this text. The reason God is blessing some folks with abundance is that they would then go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That they would, in that Old Testament way, go and be the hands and feet of God himself and care for the poor that were among them. And by saying, no, these aren't, this is mine, they're saying, God, what you've given me to bless others with, I'm keeping for myself. 
Stealing what you designated for others, for myself. Stealing. Both from God and from those in need. So you see, the Israelites were saved from Egypt. They were delivered out of bondage. They were given the land. And each tribe was allotted a particular inheritance that would be theirs. It would, they would enjoy all the blessings of it, all the fruit of the land, the wine, and everything else. And yet built into that promise of life and blessing was the promise and command that they too would be a blessing. All the way back to Abraham. You'll be a blessing to the nation. I'm going to bless you, but you're to be a blessing. Both to one another, so that all Israel might enjoy the bounty of the land, as well as to their neighbors, to the sojourner in their midst. This is why, attached to these last few verses in Deuteronomy 24, is this grounds. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Don't enslave people in their debts. Remember, you have an opportunity to set them free from the bondage. Anybody who's been in debt, who has been poor, knows the kind of bondage and weight of that. And you, as one who's been blessed by God, have an opportunity to act like uh, the Savior in freeing people from that kind of bondage by sharing. You see, when we treasure the things of this world more than God, then everything in our lives is geared to serving and preserving that thing. Paul says it this way, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If the love of money is what drives us, it will enslave us and others along with it. And in turn, we will be stealing from God. Friends, we are called by God to serve God and love others with our material blessings. Friends, where is your treasure? And this brings me to my final point and conclusion. The treasure of heaven. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When our treasure is of this earth, when we put our hope in the things of this earth, we will want to preserve it, keep it, steal it. Fred, you remember Fred? He had an issue with stealing. He's an old man. He's coming to the end of his life. He's got tons of health concerns. Um, I was one of the first and only people ever in his life to go into his house. At least as an adult, as a, as a grown man. He uh, invited me in because there was an issue uh, with the house. There was a leak and he didn't know what to do. and So he let me in, but he did not want to let me in. There was a deep shame and embarrassment that he knew would be exposed by letting me into the house. You see, he was a hoarder. And all the things he collected and stole over the years have been packed away into this small house to the point where he and his wife would not sleep in their house but on the porch. Could not enter into the house 
There was pathways this narrow, stuff stacked this high, stuff packed in. And, you know, he has mental health issues, many other issues surrounding this. Um, But there was also a spiritual issue. He was in bondage to his stuff. He's obviously an extreme example. You may have a very neat house, perfectly packed. I wouldn't walk in and have it be a mess, but you too are in bondage to your stuff. Our text calls Israel to remember that they were once in slavery. Friends, you were once in bondage. But the God of heaven lovingly showed you with all the blessings of heaven, the land, the fruit, the houses, the stuff of this life was a picture of the abundance of life that was offered to us in Christ. All those promises of the the land, the blessing of it was meant to say, this is just a, a temporal foreshadow taste of the spiritual blessing of life and freedom that comes from Christ alone. They were never meant to be attached to that. They were meant to attach themselves to God. You see, the greatest blessing for Israel as they were set free from bondage and brought into the promised land wasn't the material blessing. It was God in their midst as their God. And the freedom of knowing life in Him. And so when they received stuff, they were to praise God and and use it to His glory and enjoy it and give it to others. Open-handedly. Meanwhile, clinging on to Christ or on to God himself. Friends, Jesus is our treasure. He has given us all that we need. He has set us free from anxiety and worry and bondage to stuff. Because he says... I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You have a home in heaven that is secure. There is nothing in this. You can lose everything and you will never lose me. Friends, as we think about even going to Hands on Hartford tomorrow, what an opportunity we have. To go out and be that, that, that picture of freedom for people. That they can go and, and they can have a meal that is free. That, is, that gives them life and hope. And that we can sit with them and talk about them. Well, let me tell you about the bread of life. And the living water that flows from Jesus Christ. That sets you free in a way that this stuff is just a foretaste. And as we start to fix our eyes on the one who willingly gave everything up. He came to this earth. He gave everything up. He enjoyed all the glories of heaven. And Philippians says he didn't consider those things something to be grasped on too tightly. But he gave up the glories of heaven that he might come down. And serve. And love. And pour himself out for us. So that we might be set free from the bondage, not just to stuff, but from the bondage of sin and death itself. Friends, what does it look like to have a treasure in heaven that's far greater 
As we start to look to Jesus as that treasure, we'll start to go out into the world and share the treasures of heaven with others. Along with all the stuff of this world that is not completely insignificant. But as we do that, as we show people the freedom of what it means that not to be attached, people will start to say, I don't need to be in bondage to this stuff anymore. No, to be set free. Praise to the God. So Ephesians, Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands for this purpose, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom.